0: Genesis chapter 39, we are looking at the life of Joseph as a life and a model of integrity. One of the great challenges to integrity is doing what is right when others do wrong to us. We have seen in the life of Joseph, we have seen his integrity in his times of troubles. He grew up in a troubled childhood. His brothers were jealous of him can only imagine what the three stepmothers in the fam- family thought about him. His father loved him and doted on him, but stirred more trouble for him. And then, of course, he's sold into slavery. He goes into Egypt, and he is, goes through all of those troubles in his life, and yet in them he stays faithful. He does what is right. Then in chapter 39, we saw his integrity and his temptation when sin comes knocking are we going to answer the door are we going to respond how will we respond to temptation i'll guarantee you every one of you that was here last week between then and now you have faced temptation to sin now whether we yielded or whether we didn't is another story and i'll guarantee you that if you're here this morning and you weren't here last week that since then you faced temptation And the test of our temptation is uh, whether it's the sin that doth so easily beset us, as he says in Hebrews chapter 12, or whether it's the temptation to yield in our integrity in general. It is a temptation. And Joseph maintains his integrity. He says, I will not sin against God. That was his heart. I hope that you have that heart as well. One of the greatest defenses against temptation is to be committed to not sinning against our Heavenly Father. And then we come to this chapter and this section, the last part of chapter 39 into chapter 40 and really into the beginning of chapter 41. And we see Joseph's integrity in testing. Joseph has stayed right. Joseph has stayed right in troubled times. Joseph has stayed right in temptation. But now the test comes when person after person treats him wrongly. His brothers have been jealous of him and have sold him into slavery after threatening to kill him. Potiphar's wife has falsely accused him. Potiphar, the man who trusted him with everything in his life, doesn't believe Joseph but believes his wife instead and has Joseph thrown into prison. And in the account that we'll read this morning one after another. People that Joseph believes he can trust betray that trust, some intentionally, some not intentionally, and yet Joseph remains faithful. No, you know, our, our culture has a strong victim mentality, but there are truly victims in our world today. There are some who are victims of physical abuse. Sometimes it's domestic, sometimes it's racially motivated, sometimes it's just evil, evilly motivated. And there are certainly those things that need to be reported if that's taking place and there's harm being brought. There's also emotional abuse that takes place, verbal, manipulation. And there's even spiritual abuse that takes place. I've seen those who are, were manipulated, those who were uh, in a legalistic mindset, and those who are abused by churches, and by religious groups. All of these are victim mentality. And the danger with becoming a victim is that we stop wanting just vengeance, stop wanting just justice, and we want revenge. We don't want to just get even. We want to come back with a little extra. We want something worse to happen. I remember hearing the story years ago. Some of y'all will remember that renowned American theologian, Jerry Clower. Anybody remember Jerry Clower? Remember him telling the story about taking his city friend from up north, and he wanted to go hunting, and so he went to Uncle Versi's farm. Good old Uncle Versi in most of the stories. And he went to his farm, and he said, Uncle Versi, he told his friend, stay in the truck. I'm going to go in and talk to him and ask permission to hunt on his property. So he went in. He said, Uncle Versi, I'd like to take my friend hunting on your farm is that okay? And Uncle Versie said, yes, absolutely, that's okay, but I just need you to do me one favor. He said, oh, Bessie, my mule out there is about to die. She's been sick, and she's just, it's time to put her down, and I just, I just don't have the heart to put her down. I don't have the heart to shoot her. Could you please, before you go hunting, put her down, and then you can hunt wherever you want to. And Jerry said, I'll be glad to do that. He said, it's not going to be a fun task, but I'll be glad to, to do that. And as he walked out the door, he decided to have a little fun with his city friend and, He came out the door just kicking dust and threw his hat down on the ground, and he said, that old man, after all I've done for him, and he won't let me hunt on his property. And he ranted and raved for a couple of minutes, and he said, you know what? He's just made me so mad. He said, i tell you what I'm going to do. And he reached in his truck, and he pulled out his shotgun, and he walked over by the pasture where the mule was, and boom, he shot the mule and dropped him dead. As he stood there, he heard boom, boom, boom behind him. He turned around, he said, what on earth is going on? His friend said, Jerry, about that old man made you so mad, I shot three of his cows for you. Oh, yeah. See, we don't want to just kill the mule. We want a little extra. We, want to, we, don't want just, we don't want to just get even. And then we come to verses like this in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20. For what glory is it? What's special about it if when you are... Buffeted or harshly treated for your faults, you take it patiently. In other words, you deserve, you're getting what's coming to you and you persevere through it. What's so special about that? But if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable. This finds favor with God. Not that you've done something wrong and you take the lumps that you get. It's when you've done right. And not in spite of doing right, but because you've done right, you suffer for it. That's exactly where Joseph is. Joseph is in prison, not because he did wrong, not in spite of doing right, but because he did right. And now he's in prison through no fault of his own the mistreatment that we see in Joseph's life, this test of his integrity. You see, the great test of our integrity is, will we treat others right when they have treated us wrong? Will we still stay right when things around us are wrong? In chapter 39, I want to begin reading in verse 20. I'm just going to read just a few verses before we look at the rest of the passage. Joseph's master took him, verse 20, and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand. Let me pause a minute. Does that sound familiar? Remember just shortly before this in the early part of the chapter, Potiphar didn't even know. All he had, all he worried about was the food on his plate. He trusted Joseph implicitly, and once again, Joseph has demonstrated himself to be a person who can be trusted. He has shown the integrity of his life, even in a place where he doesn't deserve to be, even in a place where he is suffering because he did right. He is doing well. And this, as Peter will say, is acceptable. This, is, this finds favor in the sight of God. And that's why the Lord is with him. And that's what it says in verse 23, because the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker offended their Lord, the king of Egypt. We come to Joseph's imprisonment. We see what takes place. We see then his opportunity in chapter 40 as these two men are placed under his care. He is serving them. You know, it could have been very easy for Joseph to say, God, you said that they were going to be bowing down to me, and now here I am bowing down and serving prisoners. I'm serving those that have been taken from high and made low, and I'm lower than they are. We don't know why these two men were placed in prison. We don't know what they did to tick Pharaoh off. In that day and time, you didn't have to do much to tick the ruler off. If you just, hey, the baker, hey, this bread's not done enough. Let's throw him in prison. The butler, maybe he spills something out as as he's holding the cup and serving Pharaoh. Put him in prison. The Bible doesn't tell us what took place here. And let me say to us this morning that there are things in our life that are going on. There are events. There are things around us that we may never know the answer why. God doesn't enlighten us to this. We don't know what the cause was. And there's many things in this account that we don't know the why. And yet God is at work. I believe I believe based on the stories that unfolds I believe that it was God who made Pharaoh angry at his servants because he wanted these two men to be in prison where they would encounter Joseph so that when they had their dreams Joseph will be there to interpret them. And the things that we look at in our life and we don't know the why and we may not know till we get to heaven why God is using them and he is bringing them together. There's more to this as we see as this transpires, of what God is doing in Joseph's life and ultimately what God is doing in his people's life, the nation of Israel, the family of Jacob. So these two men are placed in prison. One night they both have a dream, different dream, each man has has his own dream, and they're pondering it the next morning. Have you ever had something happen in a dream and you were disturbed the next morning when you wake up? Sometimes... Sometimes your, your spouse will do something in a dream, and man, you just wake up ticked off at them. They're like, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. They woke up, and they were disturbed. Joseph said, hey, what's, what's the matter, guys? And they said, well, we've had these dreams, and we don't know the interpretation of them. And so Joseph says, hey, I, I know a little something about dreams. Tell me your dreams. And so they tell the dreams, and he tells the butler, he says, well, hey, this is, this is good news. In a few days, you're going to be released from prison. And Pharaoh is going to restore you to your place. And The, the baker says, hey, that's pretty good, man. If, if his dream is good, let me, let me hear the interpretation of mine. And so he tells his dream, and Joseph says, well, in a few days, you're going to be getting out of prison too, and Pharaoh's going to take your head off your body. And Joseph had the integrity to tell the truth, even when it was, when it was unpleasant. And so the story unfolds, of course, that Exactly as Joseph tells it, that's exactly what happens. And then we come down to the end of this chapter, and maybe what is one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. When he answers and tells his interpretation, Joseph says in the end of chapter 40, he says, when you stand before Pharaoh again, I want you to remember me. I want you to tell Pharaoh about me. I want you to remember that I am innocent, that I have been placed here. I am not guilty. And the man says, yes, I'll be glad to do after you've interpreted my dream. And verse 21 says Pharaoh restored the chief butler. Verse 22 says he hanged the chief baker. Yet, verse 23, did not the chief butler remember Joseph but forgot him. Now, I don't know why he forgot him. I don't know if maybe he just got busy, he's back on his job, he's got an extensive responsibility. Maybe he's just like some of us, maybe he's just reached that age where it's a little easier to forget things than it used to be. We don't know why he forgot. But again, there are many things like this story, there are many things in life that we don't know why they happen. Why does God allow this to take place? I believe based on the unfolding of the story, that God, just like he made Pharaoh angry, I believe God caused this man to forget because it wasn't time for Joseph to step on the scene and interpret Pharaoh's dream. Later, Pharaoh's going to have a dream, and it's going to be of national and international significance, and Joseph will be there. Joseph will be called in because that's when the butler will remember. You see... God is the one who is at work orchestrating the events of our lives even when we don't understand or know why. God is bringing all this about because God knows that down the road there's going to be a famine. And the only way that he can protect Jacob and his family, his chosen people, and the only way that he can develop them into a nation, the only way that he can bless them, is for them to be brought down into safety in Egypt, and he's going to have Joseph in place to do it, and he's going to have Joseph be the instrument and the tool in his hand to do that, so that a 400 years later, when they are established as a nation, God's going to move them back to Canaan and allow them to inhabit the land of Canaan. God takes the long view. We have a very limited short view. So time after time, the Bible doesn't give us clarity on what is taking place except for us to understand that God is in control. And the same is true in our lives. Joseph's disappointment. Look at the first part of verse 41. If you thought verse 23 was bad, he forgot him. It came to pass at the end of two years. For two years, Joseph is waiting for the butler to remember. There are times in our lives when we're wondering, we're tested. Will we stay faithful? Will we stay true to God? Will we hold fast? Will we do what is right? Even when those around us have done wrong to us, even when wrong things have happened, and we'll say, I'm going to hold fast, and I'm going to stay faithful, and I'm going to have integrity, and we do, Because we have some sense of hope that things are going to get better. We have some sense of hope that it's going to turn out good. And when we think, here it is, this is when it's going to turn out good. The butler's going to tell Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's going to plug me out of that. That door's going to swing open, and I'm going to be freed from my situation. Maybe Joseph's standing there that next morning waiting. Well, I'll, I'll give him another day. Maybe it took a little while. Maybe he hasn't had a chance to talk to Pharaoh yet. Now this is the day that I'll be freed from it. And day after day after day for two years, that hope is snatched away. Ever been there? Ever been in a situation in life where you felt like you were imprisoned and you were bound and there was no freedom? And you had that hope. God's God's doing something. I just know he is. God's going to answer this prayer. God's going to do what I've asked. God's going to free me from this. God's going to deliver me from this situation. Day after day, it doesn't seem to happen. God does not choose to work on our time schedule. God works on his own time schedule, and he often moves slower than we like. Am I the only person that gets a little impatient? Traffic lights. I found myself the other day stopping the microwave with two seconds left. How impatient must we be? Why? Because I just could not wait two more seconds. People that pull out in front of you in traffic and go a thousand yards to turn off. Now I'm talking about other people, not myself. But We get impatient and we do the same thing with God. How do, we, how do we hold our integrity? How do we stay faithful? How do we make it through those moments? I believe this is of key importance to us because every one of us is going to find our prison moments. We're going to find the test. You're going to be tested by situations that seem unfair, treatment of, uh, by others that seem unfair. How can I stay faithful? False accusations, jealousy of Joseph's brothers, false accusation by by Potiphar's wife, imprisonment by Potiphar, being neglected and forgotten by the butler, all of these things. And really behind it all, perhaps in Joseph's mind was, God's not being faithful to me. How do we make it through? How do we maintain our integrity in that time of testing? I want you to see four things this morning from the life of Joseph that are not necessarily in a particular verse, but we see them from the themes of his life. First of all, learn God's lesson. What is God teaching me in this classroom of a prison? What is God at work in my life? I've sometimes shared the account, the the event in my life, the time, the season in my life when I struggled with forgiveness toward a person, when bitterness found root in my heart, and I look back and I felt like I was imprisoned and bound by that. And I would come to the altar and I would kneel by my bed and I would pray constantly, Lord, forgive me of this. And I was sincere in my repentance. There are, time, there are those who will say, well, if you, only, if you continue with the struggle with the sin, you're not genuine in your repentance. That's not always the case. Sometimes it may be, but it's not always the case. And I would be sincere. And I had created this visual loop in my mind that every time I would lay down at night, I would lay my head down and close my eyes and that visual loop of that person and what they had done to me would just begin to loop around and around and around. And I would lay there for hours. You want to talk about being bound and being in a prison? And I would pray, Lord, please free me from this. What was God doing? God was at work sanctifying something bitter and unhealthy and deadly out of my life. God worked and God worked and I would and I would get I reached the point where I really I could hear the person's name for a long time you mentioned their name and man my my face would just turn I would just could feel the steam rising because I remembered what they did and I was bound by that and I would pray Lord help me not to help me to forgive this person help me to help me to be free from this bitterness <clears throat> I finally reached the point where I I could hear their name, and it didn't bother me, and things got reached a point I thought I had some victory over it, but God knew that there was still a deep root in my heart. And so a mutual friend said, why don't you go to this person, and why don't you just say, hey, explain, and why, why don't you confess your bitterness? You didn't do anything wrong, but you can confess the bitterness and try to make things right. And so I said, hey, that's, I think I'm where I can do that. This will be great. I don't know what I expected the person to do, the individual to do. I I guess I thought they would at least maybe say, Hey, it's okay. I forgive you, and I did some things wrong too, and I I want you to forgive me. And man, we would hug and sing kumbaya, and everything was going to be wonderful. And I went to the individual and we talked a little bit, and I said, Well, I just wanted to let you know that when all those things happened, I didn't confess what I didn't do. I didn't do anything wrong. So I didn't confess, Hey, I did something wrong. I said, I was bitter toward you and angry. I got bitter. And I want you to forgive me for the hard feelings and the bitterness that I've had towards you. And he sat there and never blinked an eye, and he said, well, you know, I knew you got wrong when all that happened. And I walked away, and I want to tell you, every bit of the bitterness came rushing back in that moment. Everything that I had fought for three years to be freed from, from a prison, just came rushing back. That was that first verse. Two whole years. That was that moment when that hope was snatched away. I thought, this is going to be it. I'm going to be freed. The butler's going to remember, and I'm going to be freed from this. And I walked away, and God said, I want you to remember there's still bitterness in your heart. You thought you were free from it. God was teaching me something. God was showing me a truth. He was letting me know something. God said, God said, Will you forgive him even if he won't acknowledge that he's done anything wrong? Will you let go of the bitterness even if he won't say anything? That was what God was using that moment. God's using these two years in Joseph's life. The timing is not right. God's still at work in Joseph. He's preparing him. And God's at work in your life. There's a lesson to be learned. You're in a situation and you may wish you're freed from it. You may wish it hadn't happened. You may wish you... But there is something that God... You see, that's the beauty and grace. The beauty and grace of God is not that He prevents anything bad from happening to us. It's not that He ever never allows us to be falsely accused or falsely imprisoned or treated poorly by a family member. It's not that He never lets that happen. He never lets that happen uselessly. He uses that. He has a purpose. He has something He wants us to learn. So we learn the lesson God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, C.S. Lewis said, but he shouts in our pain. Ask questions of God. You often hear people say, we're not supposed to question God. And that's true. But there is a distinction between questioning God and asking God questions. Questioning God comes from a place of doubt and says, God doesn't know what he's doing. I don't think he knows what's going on. He's not aware of what's going on. Asking questions of God says, God is a loving father who cares about me, and he has something that he wants me to get out of this. God, what is it that you're telling me? What is it that you want me to know? The difference is when, for example, when a teacher is teaching a class, The teacher has some truth that he wants to communicate. His goal or her goal is for that class to comprehend that truth. And sometimes when that truth is communicated, there are those who sit there and say, well, I know the teacher's trying to say something, but I don't understand. But my only goal is I'm just going to try to survive. I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm not going to raise my hand. I'm just going to sit here and hold on to the bell rings. And there are some Christians who are in God's classroom. God is teaching them something. He has a lesson for them to learn. And they're saying, oh, you're not supposed to question God. I'm not going to ask God questions. I'm just going to sit here and endure and persevere and wait till the bell rings. And then in that same class, there may be a student who gets the heart of the teacher and understands, my teacher cares enough about me that they want to communicate something to me, they want me to learn something, and if I don't understand it, I'm going to ask a question because I want to know what they're trying to, I want further explanation, I want to learn, I want to know, and there are Christians who in life, we can say, God, what is it that you want, look, I trust, I don't understand, it doesn't make sense to me, but I know that you always make sense. And I want to learn what you have for me to learn. Which of those has the heart of the teacher? The one who doesn't care and just says, I'm going to persevere and hold on and make it through this? Or the one who says in the middle of this, I want to learn what God has for me? Joseph in his prison moment is in a classroom. It's not just a prison, it's a classroom. And your situation is not just a trial, it's not just a test. It is a classroom for God to teach you something. He is speaking, will we listen? Number two, we can can learn God's lesson because number two, we can trust God's heart. We can trust God's heart. It's an old saying, God is too wise to be wrong. He is too good to be unkind, and when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. Trust his heart. God's heart was for Joseph. God's heart was for the people of Israel. And ultimately, God's heart was for the people of Egypt. Because 400 years later after this, when God brings his people out of Egypt, he says, then will Egypt know that I am God. Remember, God takes the long view. God's looking 400 plus years down the road, and he wants to manifest himself, trust his heart. Number three, continue to do God's work. Where God has placed you, don't quit. Don't stop. For Joseph, it was serving in Potiphar's house. Oh, I've been sold as a slave. I've been sold as a servant to Potiphar. What am I going to do? He keeps on working diligently, so well that he puts him in charge of everything. Falsely accused, falsely imprisoned, thrown into prison. What are you going to do, Joseph? You're going to hide over in the corner? You're going to just get your prison blanket and crawl on your cot over there and hide in the corner? No, he works. He does the work that God has for him, he does what is his task to do. I love the story. I won't take a long time with it this morning, but I love the story of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, the great pastor who was one of the leaders in the great awakening and the revival movement in America in the 1700s, preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And God used that as a spark revival and a great work took place. But after 20 plus years of faithful service at the Northampton Church, because he preached A biblical principle about church membership, 90% of his congregation voted him out. And here he is in his older years, completely cut off from his life's ministry. How did he respond? He was falsely treated. It was not his fault. He was just doing what he's supposed to do as a pastor, preaching the word of God. His friends said this about him. They said he didn't demonstrate, he didn't show in his demeanor, that he was bitter or angry. But the smile of God was on his face. And he didn't hold a grudge. During the time when he was voted out, the church had trouble finding pulpit supply. I mean, good night, who wants to supply the church that Jonathan Edwards has been the pastor of? So you know what he did? He went back and preached for that bunch. I'm going to tell you, he had a lot more of the grace of God than I will ever have. I want to go now, I want to go back and find those sermons that he preached when he went back and see what he had to say to him. He didn't allow bitterness to find root in his heart, and he continued to serve God. His service looked a little different. He wasn't pastoring one of the pre- premier churches in the region. He went to the backwoods of the colony and began to minister to native tribes and to a handful of white settlers, and was faithful until the day of his death. An example of doing what God has for us to do. Do what you can where you are with what you have. Lastly, number four, we maintain our integrity by living in God's love, being reminded of it. Know that God loves you. No matter what's taking place, look, I can't answer the whys. I don't know. I don't know why my, my friend treated me the way he did. I don't know why the butler forgot. I don't know the whys, but here is one truth that I anchor my soul in, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and that is that God loves me. And Romans 8 says that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate me from the love of God. So tribulation and persecution and death, and peril, and the sword, and all of those things. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Wherever you are, whatever you are experiencing, God loves you, and you can rest in that. Philip Yancey writes about Christian Rieger, a German pastor who was imprisoned by the Nazis during World War II for his faith. He was turned in by his church organist. Boy, you got to watch those musicians just kidding not really but just (laughs) spent four years in a concentration camp and this is what he said he said Nietzsche said a man can undergo torture if he knows the why of his life but here in this camp I learned to know the who of my life He was enough to sustain me then, and He is enough to sustain me still. I want you to know that whether you're in a German concentration camp or an Egyptian prison or wherever you are in your life right now, God is enough to sustain you, He loves you, and He cares about you. And as Paul will say in Romans chapter 8, if God be for us, then who can be against us? If God is on my side, if God loves me, it doesn't matter who betrays me. It doesn't matter who lies about me. It doesn't matter what situation takes place. I can rest in the love of Christ. All may be against us, but God is for us. Rest in His love. Integrity in testing. Your integrity, your faithfulness will be tested. You will be tested of will I do what is right when these wrong things happen? Will I stay right when others around me get wrong? Do we have an example of this? Again, as I've said each week, Joseph points us to Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. On his way to the cross, the only perfect sinless person who has ever lived their accusations there are lies that were made about him when people have lied the illustration that i used when lies that were said they were wrong in that particular instance but i'll guarantee you there was something in my life where i was wrong sort of like when my mom i've told her a time or two hey You know, I remember a spanking that I got one time that I I didn't deserve. And you know what she said. There was probably one you did deserve that you didn't get, so that just made up for it. (laughs) When the accusations are made against us and bad things happen, well, I don't deserve that. Well, probably somewhere along the line we deserve something. Jesus never deserved any of it. And he's on his way to the cross, not to die because of his wrongdoings, but to die for wrongdoers. And what does he say on his way to the cross? As they're around him, mocking him and beating him and lying about him and crucifying him, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the model of integrity. God give us the integrity Of Joseph, the integrity of Jesus in our moment of testing. I don't know what test you're going through right now, but I want you to know God has a lesson for you to learn. Trust his heart. Live in his love. Father, I pray this morning for those who feel separated from your love, those who have been lied about, those who have had unfair things happen, those who have faced trials and testings, Lord, help us to stay faithful. Father, maybe this morning there's someone here who needs to come and get in this altar and just be reminded of how great your love for them is. Maybe there's someone who's ready, where they've been tested, and they're they in that two-year period, and they thought help was on the way, and it didn't arrive, and they're still that in-between waiting. Maybe they need to come this morning. Father, I pray that you'll speak, and they'll come and... Lord, learn to lean on you and trust in you. Lord, help us to learn the lesson that you have for us. Help us to live in the love that you extend to us, Father. Whatever the needs, I pray that your people will respond and be obedient. We pray and ask.